So today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season, traditionally, the, the four Sundays leading uh, up to Christmas, a celebration of Jesus coming into the world. And it's a season of great build-up, uh, excitement, anticipation. So we're calling our sermon series that we're going to journey through, through over these next uh, today and the next three weeks, uh, we're calling it Anticipation. And, and the anticipation of the, the season sort of builds itself, but we, we intentionally do things to increase the anticipation. We do things like lighting candles, and we're going to light more candles every week, and it'll get lighter and lighter and uh, increasing light. And we decorate, and we, we have trees and lights, and these things are signs of life and light in a world that can be very, um, can be very dark. So we, we do these things to build up the anticipation. We uh, light trees. We participated with the town this, this weekend on Friday for the, the big holiday happenings in Andover, and some of you were there, and for the big tree lighting. But you can't just light the tree. You've got to get everybody together and count down. It's not enough to turn it on. Ten, nine, eight, and then you light the tree, and then there was fireworks. It was spectacular. So... Um, uh, props to the FCC choir who participated in this event. Um, they brought joy to those who were strolling around on Friday. <clears throat> the Eagle Tribune, I don't know if you saw yesterday's Eagle Tribune, uh, but it said this. It was from Saturday's paper. It says, at 46 degrees, the temperature was a tad on the chilly side, but the group from Free Christian Church must have sung for nearly an hour. And that's pretty, Yes. Now, I take a little exception here. In December, after sunset, 46 degrees is downright balmy. <laughs> but my friend from Brazil, Fernando, uh, this is all like playing the piano outdoors and it's for, in the 40s. It's just, uh, and I think this reporter must have been seeing you. But they, then they quote you. So it's, uh, the reporter says that 46 degrees, temperature was a tad on the chilly side. The group from Free Christian Church sung for nearly an hour, quote, we wanted to celebrate the good news of Christ with the town, explained Fernando Castro, the choir director, who accompanied the singers with an electronic keyboard. <laughs> electronic keyboard, I like that. But anyway. But that's what we, we enter into the anticipation that other people are, are celebrating as well because we want to share the good news of Jesus. When he came, it was good news. It was the good news of his kingdom coming into this world. It was the good news of what he would accomplish uh, ultimately on the cross by his death and his resurrection, and we just celebrate his saving work. And so th this is good, but I'll say this too. Not all the buildup in this season is, not all the anticipation is helpful for people. There are those who, um, the, the, the anticipation of the season creates anxiety because there's pressure, and there's pressure to buy gifts and this pressure to buy the perfect gift and maybe pressure to spend money you don't have on a gift that maybe you don't even need or the person needs and there's only X number of days left and then your family's going to be around and that can create its own stresses and past hurts and past uh, struggles and family dynamics and losses and all these things. The buildup sometimes is it, it, can, it can drag us down in some ways. So whether it's positive or negative, there's just, there's just this huge build up this anticipation. So we're focusing on this concept of anticipation. But now think back to when Jesus came, the first Christmas. Jesus didn't just plop down in a manger into a world that had no 
hunger or expectation that something was to happen. There was a buildup as God is from the very beginning, God unfolding his saving work in the world, that there's all these promises that God was making to the world about who he was and what he would accomplish of one who was to come. And Jesus comes as the fulfillment of all those promises. So what we want to do today, we're going to look at the very first promise. The promise here is that there was an offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman who would come and crush the head of this serpent. And the serpent would strike his heel, but the serpent's head would be crushed. And and Jesus fulfills that promise. And each week we're going to look at another one of these Old Testament promises to see how they are fulfilled in Jesus. So the way I want to do that this morning is I want to give a little background on this passage of Scripture before we jump into it. Um, yeah, lay a little foundation for that. Then I want to look at the, the enemy, the fall, God's response, and our response. Okay, the enemy, the fall, God's response, and our response. Let's pray as we, as we do this. So, Father, as we approach your word, we do so with humility, knowing that your ways are greater than our ways, that your wisdom is greater than our wisdom. Yet, you've chosen to reveal your heart to us and to the world. So we pray that you would give us understanding, a spirit of understanding, that your Holy Spirit would help us to to know your heart, to know our own hearts, our need for you in this time. So we give ourselves to you, we give this time to you, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is, a, this is a pretty important topic for us today. As some of you, as some of you know, I, I've personally I've been struggling. Um, my cousin, a very good friend of mine, was uh, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in June. He died in October. Uh, it's been incredibly hard uh, for the family, for me personally. Uh, just a very good friend of mine, uh, and I haven't talked a lot about it openly because it's just been hard to talk about. Uh, but you guys have been great, a number of you just encouraging, uh, supporting me and my family over these months, and I just want to thank you for that. And I, and I share that because I'm not alone. There's a lot of families in the life of this church who are grieving losses, death, uh, facing serious life issues, whether it's a, a health thing or a a job thing, financial crises, is lots of heavy stuff. And the reason I share that with you today, first of all, I feel comfortable to, to talk about these things because God is working in and through this community and healing and there is hope. But apart from our faith, there's not a lot of hope. If this world were just a chaotic, random, cosmic accident, what do we do with these pains and these tragedies and, and all the, the brokenness of the world around us? We don't have any kind of grounding for it. It's just a cold, impersonal universe. Or maybe there's some kind of God out there whose ways I can't ever understand or know, and I'm just left alone in my pain and in my loss to just, to just deal with it. But at the core of our faith is the reality that the world is broken. And there is evil. There is sort of the natural disordering of the world. 
It's where we see things like natural disasters and disease and, and just the chaotic brokenness of the world. But there's also moral evil where people do horrible things and make terrible decisions and uh, injustice and all these things. That we are in this broken world and yet God does not leave us alone with the brokenness and the evil. He doesn't just walk away from it. But God in his grace doesn't leave us there. He's actually, in the midst of it, unfolding his work of saving and rescuing this broken world. Saving and rescuing us. Such that, as we experience evil and as we experience loss, we can still know his goodness in that. And we can know that he's accomplishing something far greater and he's made it clear what he's accomplishing. So, as we approach this text today, this Genesis 3 text, we see how things got broken. And the pattern of sin and brokenness and the work of the enemy that, is, that we see beginning here is the same pattern that we see today. And I want to make those connections for us. But first, a little bit of background. You come to Genesis 3, you're reading your Bible. One of the questions that I'm always asked and that I ask myself is, did this actually happen? Is this real? Is this somehow a historical thing? <clears throat> if you only had Genesis 3, and that's all the information you had, you have uh, Adam and Eve and you have this talking serpent, you would come to the conclusion probably that it's just sort of a myth. This is all just very symbolic kind of language uh, to teach, to teach about humanity, teach about life. But if you keep reading through Genesis, you get to chapter 5, there's actually genealogies that of Adam's descendants that point us back historically to this man, Adam. It roots him firmly in history. And then in the New Testament, you have the Gospel of Luke, which offers a genealogy all the way from Jesus back to Adam. And again, genealogies in the Bible, which generations are in and out, and do they skip a little different? They can be confusing, they can be difficult, but we do have a, a trace genealogy back to Adam. Even... Uh, you look at human genetics, they talking to a friend of mine in the church who happens to, he, he's smart, <laughs> unlike me, but he, he's really smart, and um, he's talking about how they, that uh, humanity traces, you look at human genes, to sort of a, a genetic Eve, and there's also sort of a genetic Adam, but is younger, you know, is, is more recent. And then, you know, biblical scholars just say, well, maybe that's genetic Noah because it was Noah and his sons, and then, but the females would have been from, have other ancestors back. What, the geeks are, love to talk about that. We can come to pizza with the pastor afterwards. We can talk about some of these things. But, um, but we have these genealogies, and you also have uh, writing in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, for example, he writes in, in Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15, about how Adam, as one man in the sin that, that he commits and his descendants after him, comparing that to Jesus in his death and resurrection and everything that uh, flows from that is, as uh, those are just as factual to one another. So to me, that really gives me confidence. This really, this happened. But it's also prehistoric. So this is a prehistoric event that is being told later and how much of the story is being translated into language that is concrete and understandable to a human mind. And I suppose we could debate some of that over pizza later. Um, but and what I mean by that is 
Not every detail of what is happening here is explained in great detail. So there's a very broad brush strokes that this account is painted in, but there's some detail that's very specific. So in one sense, it's very broad. In another sense, it's very specific. So we focus in on what we have. The most important thing to me is that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have this. And we, we have the understanding of what happened, and, it's, and it is true. It is true. And, and so that's the, so I'm, I'm beginning from the assumption that this is factual. The other question then say, okay, so if it's true, how come there's a deceiving, sneaky serpent in this garden? Because this is supposed to be paradise, there's no sin or dying, and God made it all good. Now you've got this crafty deceiver in the midst of this. What's going on? Okay, so that's a good question. It's actually a really hard question. I would give you a few things. One is to say that um, we understand this serpent is Satan, that um, this is a spiritual being that Genesis, particularly Genesis chapter 1, talks about the creation, the forming and filling of the earth and all that is in it. And the spiritual, it doesn't go into a lot of detail about spiritual beings like angels and demons and Satan, um, about their origin. So Satan is a spiritual being sort of beyond or separate from what is... Uh, most focused on in Genesis, so sort of apart from that. Um, and also, you know, as Satan is in the garden, is tempting. Temptation is not sin. Uh, Jesus was tempted without sin. Um, temptation is actually something that helps us to exercise faith. So if you didn't have temptation, you actually couldn't have faith. Does that make sense? Let me back it up. If, if you weren't tempted to go away from God, then you're not actually expressing faith in God. You're just, it's just automatic. You'd be an automaton, you'd be like a robot that just always obeys. But because we have the, the capacity to be tempted away from God, it also gives us the capacity to trust God. So in the mystery of who God is and how God works, it's important to God to allow humans to make a decision to trust him, to willingly put our faith in him. And and again, we have, here we have the serpent, we understand, as Satan in the garden. And again, this is a spiritual being speaking as a snake or speaking through a snake. Genesis 3 isn't trying to explain that a snake has the intellectual capacity or the, uh, uh, the faculties to enable speech, you know, coherent speech. And again, it, this, is, this is what happens after this event the world as we know it changed fundamentally. So spiritually and physically, the world changed dramatically after sin enters the world. And God describes that later in chapter 3, that there's now toil and work and there's thorns and thistles, and even the environment is breaking down, such that the way that humans interacted with animals and with each other and with God is fundamentally changed. So how much like the world I'm looking at is the world they were living in? We're not sure. So these are all, I don't have those answered. And what I just did is I might have brought up more questions than you were thinking, and that's really not good um, as a rhetorical. I just broke a lot of rules, but <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, the enemy. Look at the enemy, the fall, God's response and our response. First, the enemy. This is the serpent. Here's, here's what we see. We see deception, doubt, and outright lies. Verse 1. The serpent says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, or you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will certainly not die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Here we have the serpent questioning, you know, uh, bringing doubt and, and deceit. Did God really say that? You know what's going on? God doesn't have your best interest at heart. That God's word is not certain. He's trying to keep something from you. He's, he's hiding something from you. And then just this straight out lie. Oh, you won't certainly die. In, the, in Genesis chapter 5, Adam dies. He certainly died. Death enters the world here. This is just a lie of the enemy. And and today, this same enemy exists doing the same thing. Deception, doubt, and straight-up lies. Christian author C.S. Lewis, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which we can fall into about Satan and demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So you could become obsessed with the spiritual world and the demonic, and, and it just it could be stifling to even try to operate in, in the world worried about these things. But on the other end of the spectrum is where I think um, an error that many of us fall into is that we just sort of ignore the spiritual realities, that the enemy is real and the enemy wants to destroy you. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We live in a spiritual world, and there is evil, and there is darkness, and we, but we're not, again, we're not left alone in it. We can take our stand that we can trust God and God will protect us because God is doing something in the midst of it. And honestly, you just get to a point, you just can't deny it. People of faith, you're going about your life and you can try to ignore the spiritual realities, but um, you know, as people put their faith in God, they become keenly aware of the struggle against temptation in ways that they never did before. And, and you know, you just... It can only come at you so far before you, you know, so much before you know something's really wrong. The story of the, the woman who, she's watching the news at night and she sees the, a report of a wrong way driver on Route 495 and it was on a stretch of the highway that her husband would drive home from work on. So she calls her, calls her husband, honey, there's a wrong way driver on the highway, you need to watch out. He's on his cell phone. He said, no, no, there's not one. There's hundreds of them. They're all coming out. There's a certain point where these things come at you and you look at the world around you and you, you know. You know that fundamentally something is wrong and something is evil. And it impacts us in different ways. That's the enemy. Jesus encouraged his followers to pray, deliver us from evil. Again, Paul here, take your stand against the evil one. All over scripture, just the warning to be alert to this. So we have the enemy, then we have the fall. Verse 6, the woman 
She looks at the tree. So the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. Notice what she did here is she looks and what she saw with her own eyes was good. Yet the word of God said, do not eat. She trusted her own senses, her own sense of how the world should work and what she needed and not what God told her that she needed. And of course, she shares it with her husband. He doesn't need any convincing. He joins right in. They both fall. Sin enters the world. Tree doesn't look harmful. Tree doesn't look poisonous. This is how, when, when we start to believe the lies of the enemy, when we start to just make up our own rules about how the world works and we ignore what God has said in his word, this, this leads to sin. And this is what happens when we sin. What do they do? They, they're ashamed. They cover their naked bodies. They're hiding their bodies from each other. Now they're hiding from God. And they start blaming one another. So sin breaks down relationships. So this woman, who just a chapter earlier, Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and the great joy of husband and wife and the, the unity they have uh, to share life together. And now he's saying, oh, you know, her fault. She says, oh, no, no, it's the serpent. And then everybody's blaming. The pattern of sin today is the same. Whenever you trust your perception of how the world should work more than what God has already told us, that's when we fall into sin. Anything you trust more than God. Remember, sin isn't just bad behavior. Sin is a failure of the human heart to trust God. Sin is a, heart, is a condition of the heart that doesn't love God with whole heart, with whole soul, mind, and strength. And it leads to things that anything, anything that you want to hide from other people is probably sin in your life. And I've came up with this idea before. It was somebody else's idea, but I thought it was pretty good. Because we have this big screen here, and, you know, it's kind of static right now, and it's, and it's big. I, I thought we could use this as a way to remind us that sin is a problem for every one of us. And on any given Sunday, what we could do is just pick one of you at random, and we'll put, we'll put, not, not, I can put all your sin on the screen. Just your top ten. Your top ten worst sins. And I'll put them on the screen. I mean, I'm not going to put all your sins. I only have one screen here. But they, your top worst, not just the things you've done, but the things that you've thought. So your worst thoughts or your worst actions, depends how those rank. Your top ten up there, and we'll just leave it up there for the service as a reminder to all of us. Now, think of, you don't think of all of your top ten, but think of maybe one or two of them. I'll give you a second. Yeah, you don't want that up there. We want to hide that stuff. You don't want anybody to know that. Your deepest, darkest thoughts, you just, no, don't put them up there. Sin still does that to us today. Or if you find yourself blaming everyone else in your life for how things are. Oh, it's, it's, it's that person's fault, or the, my parents' fault, or the government's fault, or somebody's fault. Something somebody else's fault. That's probably the root of some sort of sin and brokenness within you. Where you need to, you know, where, where we are not trusting God with whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sin works the same way today as it did then. So we've got the enemy, we've got the fall, uh, now God's response. What does God do? This is the moment where, this is the moment where God gave them one rule, and they broke it, they have rebelled. He could come in with the thunderstorm, and the lightning bolts, and the shaking the world, and just, what have you done? 
all the wrath of God could just wipe them out. What does God do? Comes in the cool of the day and seeks after them. Where are you? We, and then this is the pattern of how God responds to broken, sinful humanity. He reaches out in his grace, seeking us. Our faith is not about people seeking after God. It's God seeking people, coming to earth, not in the thunderstorm and in all the fire and fear, but as we have this little manger scene over here on the organ, as a, as a poor, humble, homeless child, seemingly powerless, Yes, a king, but just a baby king. And, and that's God's grace. That's the gentleness of God. And, and, and we don't deserve that. That's purely a, his gift, his grace to us. That's how God works. Now, so God comes in his grace, seeking the people. He, he, they've confessed what has happened. God curses the, the serpent. You're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to be low and despised. Forever, And there's going to be animosity. There's going to be enmity between you um, and, and the woman. And this, there's going to be a, a perpetual struggle between her offspring and your offspring. And again, offspring of the serpent isn't baby snakes. It's, it's, there's a good and evil. And all that will come, you know, and the woman represents now the one who can have faith in the God of the universe. And, and the, the serpent represents the rebellion and evil, and there's going to be good and evil in this perpetual battle. And in that battle, that's where we get to today. We live in this battle in a broken world. But what do we do with it? Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can actually enter into this battle in a way that brings God's goodness. Just as God has demonstrated his grace, and he's ushering it in, Jesus comes and he's ushering in a new kingdom in a new way that we, we are part of ushering in God's goodness so that we don't have to be overcome by evil. Romans 16, verse 20, talks about how God is going to crush Satan under our feet. Actually, this crushing of the serpent's head, we can be part of that. And then ultimately, at the end of time, Revelation 12, 2, talks about this dragon, the serpent, who is the devil, it is Satan. It's all these images that we know is the evil one is now under the control of Jesus Christ, and is ultimately destroyed, completely crushed. But until that day, we don't, we're not just waiting with evil happening. We are actually engaged in this battle. And Jesus Christ has provided all that we need. He is the offspring of the woman who was to come to crush Satan. And, and in Romans chapter 5, if you have a chance this week, as you, if, if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 5 really describes how how sin and death enter the world through Adam, but now we have life and victory through Jesus Christ. So Adam and, and all that this sin brought in, it brings death, Christ brings in life. Adam brings about condemnation, Jesus brings about justification. Adam brings disobedience and makes people sinners. Jesus brings obedience and makes people righteous. But it's not just a, a champion who was to come. He will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. It's a wounded victor. It's a wounded champion. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was wounded. And he gave his body and his blood, and he died. But he rose again to new life. It was just a, it was just a strike on the ankle. He rose and crushed death. And he offers life that's greater than death. 
And that's the life that we, by faith, receive from him. So what's our response to this? God responds with his grace. Our response is faith. It's trusting him, admitting that, yes, sin is is something I've inherited, but something I've entered into. And I need a savior. I need God's grace. And when when I send... When I send you off today, most Sundays I say, okay, go, and God is with you, and that's true. God has great things he wants to do through you, that's true, and I, and I want us to go and focus on that. But as I send you today, also remind you that there's an enemy out there who wants to deceive you, who wants you to believe lies about yourself, who wants you to believe lies about who God is. And there's so much evil and brokenness But Jesus on the cross, he was wounded, but he defeated the enemy, crushed the enemy. So in the meantime, so back to this pain that I feel and the pains and the brokenness that you experience, God's going to complete his work. God is going to make all things right. We don't just have to wait around till the end of time, though, to experience it, that we can experience it every day, every moment. We have the opportunity to overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen.